Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations with Z and Vin. And we are here on this magnificent day talking about walking a mile in someone else's shoes. And Z, you brought up this point that we collectively have lost empathy for others. Or maybe more precisely, it's something we never cultivated. We were talking about the pineal gland in the brain and how it could be the size of a grain of sand. But if you cultivate it, it allows you to attune yourself to the emotions, the shifts in someone else's mood. It helps you piece together a story, a history, a more complete understanding of other human beings. And that allows us to navigate this world. So you can go through life more easily, less friction, more understanding, less conflict. And that small gland can actually grow to the size of an almond if you tend to it. But many people don't. And we end up in situations where people are self-absorbed. They're focused on themselves. It could be entitlement. It could be anxiety. Even if you want to focus on someone else, the anxiety shuts you down, puts you in survival mode. And as a result, we end up interacting with people without a very deep understanding of their point of view. And this has happened to me in the past. I think, actually, when we were talking about this, an interaction I had with a cousin of mine years ago, who I'm very close to, most of the time we get along very well. I was getting frustrated because the guy is always absorbed in whatever he's doing. He works maniacally. He's got his own business. He's consumed by that. So at times he doesn't return calls. At times we don't see each other. And it got to the point where I was getting really heated. I was like, what the fuck? I mean, we're brothers, cousins, brothers, whatever. Cousins, but feels like a, a brother in both directions. And... We have a finite amount of time on this planet. Why aren't we connecting more? Why aren't we seeing each other? Why is it always that you're canceling plans and I'm continuously accommodating? And so I had it out with him one day. I mentioned this to him on the phone. I think it was taken aback a bit. He listened. But he also said exactly what you said, which is, you have no idea what is going on in my life. He didn't say it in a mean way. Just said, there's a lot that I'm dealing with professionally, personally. And you're not attuned to that. So it's a little unfair that you're coming at me like this. And I thought about it. And there are parts that I disagree with. I do think that it's more of a pattern than a one-off. But at the same time, the point was well taken because it's his life. He manages it the way that he wants to. He's got certain stresses, certain demands. So why am I imposing my idea of what our relationship should be? And I dropped that. And I took the attitude, 
I don't fully know what's going on. I do know that he loves me, he cares about me. We have a good time when we hang out. So when I see the guy, I'll enjoy the time that we have. And I'm going to drop expectations of anything else. And it's great. We've always had a good relationship. This preserved that good relationship. We got through that spot. But more than anything else, it did a lot for me because it took a source of stress that was weighing on me, some anger, some frustration, and it just dissipated. I don't know if that's exactly what you're getting at when we're talking about empathy. You know, maybe that was less about really understanding what he was going through. I think I do have a better sense. You know, it opened me up to at least the possibility that there's a lot going on that I'm not aware of. In my case, a lot of it was just dropping my expectations, my view of how someone else should behave. Beneficial to the relationship, beneficial to me. I want to hear your perspective on this because the last few weeks we've been talking about people that you've been dealing with who lack that capacity, lack the capacity to empathize, attune themselves to someone else's challenges. Imagine a situation or a life different than their own and therefore understand why someone might behave the way that they do. Talk us through that, Z. What happens when we either lose perspective or we never have that perspective of what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes? Walking in someone else's moccasins. Walk a mile in a man's moccasins, a woman's moccasins. And you get to understand. And there's something metaphorical and there's something literal. I've had a number of occasions um, training with with different um, people, different masters. I, I remember one time I was training with this great master, um, Tayari Cassell, and he had mastered this form of martial arts that was uh, ground fighting, snake boxing. And it was uh, something truly powerful to watch. And I wanted to get good at this. And I was a very... Uh, always been kind of more of a technical thinker, thinking in vectors and sectors and give me the right algebra, I could do it, but I wasn't always soulful in that sense. So I remember we were doing performance demonstrations, yeah, yeah, you're, you're good at it, you're good at it. And I, I knew that I got certain things, but I didn't have the essence of what he was doing. And one day he let me borrow his uniform, the garment that he wore which was uh, these very uh, loose-fitting, baggy clothes cut a certain way. They were different than the traditional martial arts fighting pants of the day and things like that. And I put on the pants and I realized how much I could, the freedom of movement in those pants, how I could conceal body movements. And it wasn't the clothes, it was the feeling of all the things you do. And then suddenly I had a better understanding by wearing those garments. I got to be in his clothes, in his shoes. And then over a period of time of hanging out with him, um, he had a certain type of personality. And I got to understand, observing his life, how that personality came to be. And though it wasn't an agreeable personality for me, I got to understand it. And over the, my lifetime, I've had the opportunity to have a number of experiences like that. And what I'd like to do with what we always do is 
Can this information help each of us mitigate human suffering? First our own and then others. We live in a time where people are very, very removed from the true ardor of the heart. You know, people are involved in technology, not understanding that the technology hijacks our hippocampus. It takes away the visceral loop of human interaction. It replaces it with instant alerts, stimulus, um, interactions like that. Even here, you know, Caitlin's getting a message. I may, I may get a, a doom, doom, doom on the phone or something like that. But it's not another human being. And our brains weren't designed to take this cold device and treat it in the way that we would treat another human being. When you text somebody, there's no facial expression. There's no tone of voice. I guess you could text in all caps. Then the person would assume something, right? You could do an emoji and some other stuff. But it's not the observation of that person. You're not seeing the galvanic skin resistance, the texture skin changing. You're not seeing if their face begins to glow or emanate energy. So we're getting more and more removed from a more wholesome human commerce. And so when you try to explain something to people or share something, people don't get it because we only imagine ourselves as separate and isolated even though we talk a certain way. So the, the good fortune of misfortune is that I'm always aware of the transiency of human life is what the Buddha asked us to do. So I try to treat people like tomorrow I will get the phone call that they're dead. With that, not only do I have empathy for them. That doesn't mean you like people. That doesn't mean you love everybody. That would be hypocritical to say. But I understand you to the capacity of myself. I understand you. I understand why you are what you are. I may not agree with it, but I, in, in our world of exchange, I understand the rate of exchange between you and I. What kind I count on what can I expect and then I can also separate that from what are my hopes for that person and oftentimes hope leads us to sadness sorrow and disappointment because we want somebody to be something they're not but with empathy it can buffer that it can reel it back in it also allows you to be truly more forgiving forgiving means a degree of forgetting. What part, what degree of forget? Forgetting the pain, but remembering the event that caused the pain. Remembering the event that caused the pain, but forgetting the pain. Don't dwell in the pain. That's an important thing, because if someone borrows your car and wrecks it, you can forgive them, but you know not to ever let them use your car again. And you can find another path in that relationship. So you'll see me interact with all manner of people with different degrees of relationships. I know what to expect of them. And that's empathy, right? But empathy also opens the door to a broader and holistic love for general humanity. 
And as we sit here, you sat with me the other day when I got the message that a dear friend was dead. You were right here with me. You were right here with me. I got the call. A dear friend, Alassane, very dear friend. His, his role in my life is how I ended up with a 32-year-old son. Through him, through our working together, I met my son's mom. Through other events, I performed for Stevie Wonder. I helped him rescue his child and take her to Senegal. We had a lot of, a lot of the coloring of my life was with this man. He was younger than me. And you heard me, you were sitting there when I found out he was dead, untimely death. The same time, right in on my phone call, I got a call from somebody, a selfish man. And what you notice, I juggled all of those emotions proportionate. Because I know you didn't know these people. They didn't know you. But I know all of you. And I use this empathy as a form of courtesy to let you be aware of knowing I need a minute. I think I said that to you. I need a minute. And you said, cool. I didn't have an outburst. I didn't shout out. I didn't go out storming out of the room. I didn't do all sorts of things because the empathy gives you a tethering to the broader celestial humanity. It gives me more clarity in the people in my world. I sense what's going on. Pretty Tony rode with me to Arizona. We did a road trip. And he got to hear every phone call I got on the way on a day that I was hoping to relax, why I'm tired sometimes, why I'm stressed. He heard me get very angry at the idea that people were using his time and the space free. Because I told him the story of what it took to create this. But I've never put that on other people. I explained to him that everybody that comes in here and flushes the toilet, that goes to my water bill. Everybody that uses a paper towel. Every customer that's repelled by the ugliness outside, if I didn't have time to clean it up. So anyone who comes in here and enjoys what we enjoy, have the empathy, the empathy to understand what did it take to create this. Not what it did for me, but what does it do for them? And if you understand how that thing came to you, you treat it different. That's why people pray over food. My God, thank you for the harvest. Father, mother, whatever. Almost every culture just... Well, I'm, I'm fortunate to be eating. Even if I can afford it, I'm fortunate to have this meal. So when we have that, it elevates the individual. You don't do it for other people. Again, you don't do it for other people. The journey to where we are, for example, with the Dharma Health Institute and Dharma Media, that man that died was a part of what you know about me right now. As where Jante's dad 
was a part of building the character of me as a human being that allows Jante to be here in an entitled way to inherit my life's work. And he didn't do shit other than the luck of the draw and draw the lottery that an energy, a spirit started 50-something years ago was passed on to him like good DNA. The empathy that his dad... See, I was a young man at war, who had came from war, who had came from suffering, that these little kids would turn to me, not as a violent man, not as a soldier, but as a protector and a big brother that showed them how to have fun. And them little kids smiling and giggling and me comforting them softened my heart. And I owe them for that. And in that owing, They gave me a grandson, Jante. People don't understand that. Jante, good kid, screws up, kicks holes in the wall, breaks my ECP machine. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you don't think I know about it. I know everything. I know everything. And I don't give up on him because I understand what the process of growth. Here's pretty Tony, weirdo, millennial types. But he's become this amazing teacher. You haven't seen him teach Tai Chi lately. He sounds, he talks like Beavis and Butthead. But now he's turned into this very regal person. That people, he can hold the attention of educated people aspiring to do better in life. I've always sensed that in both of them. That's empathy. Because that gland, that ability, to, that cosmic receptor, it, there is a truth in that. But in order for me to endure that, I have to walk in their shoes. I know they didn't go through what I went through. I can't expect them to behave like me, think like me, act like me, do what I... They don't know. But I know they don't know. So with things they do that might seem wacky, awkward, is not coming from an ill place. But through empathy and understanding, we find a way of navigating and negotiating human commerce. I know that Caitlin has been through the cancer. Her moods are swinging this way, that way. It's like living with your aunt doing menopause, right? But I also, I understand. No, I don't understand somebody diddling with my uterus, but I can imagine. I can imagine what it feels like to be uh, in your 20s or 30s going through a life-changing surgeries and all that. So when she's sweaty and crazy and breaking out in hives and mad and cursing me out and using the N-word, I'm like, it's okay. You know, I get it. I, I get it. I, I'm not, I, I get it. They're, they're, I get it. But it's safe to be there doing that because empathy is there. Before we can have compassion, we have to have empathy. And so all of us get an opportunity to be in the other person's shoes. You may jump right out of those shoes. They may be too hot for you. But at least you get to understand what that person is made of. And whenever we do that, we learn something about each other. We learn their strengths, their fears. We learn all those things. And then in learning that, you learn more about yourself. 
It always goes back to that. We're not trying to be uh, Mother Teresa. We're just trying to have less suffering in our own life. And you suffer less when you understand people. Because the world will not adjust for you. You must adjust to the world. The world is perfect. Even in the things that are imperfect. And what I learn all the time, like I said, the, as the Buddha would say, don't be fooled by the transiency of life. Death is the inevitable ruler of all of us. So how you live your life, and this gives you a better way of living your life. I've been able to live longer than a lot of people because I've been able to put myself in other people's shoes. It mitigates some of my stress. Some of it. And the more we understand each other, the more we can feed off of that and give each other a break. And when you give another person a break, you give yourself a break. When he teaches in my place, I get a rest. When I rest, I go into an anabolic cycle. I get stronger. I get more creative. I can do more. When he sits at the helm of this and understand what it takes to make a, what it takes to make the bills do that, he'll say, "Then why is why is Graham's pissed off at me for a little hole in the wall?" And then he teaches real good. He shows. I look at his students and I see his students who came in here basically uh, useless, and he's doing the stuff that I knew somebody my student did forty years ago. John Tay's able to do that. Transforms people. That's empathy. I see when I see the growth in the people that he works with. So it's just like I'm he's extended my ability in my life. Every one of the people he's worked with, you couldn't tell whether I trained them or he trained them. So in the quiet of my own heart, I had a good day. When I saw that boy, what's that boy's name? John. John. I mean, it was just somebody, you know, that have been hard. You're talking about special ed. What about that other kid, Rob? He's got his buddy, Rob. I heard the bag kicking last night. I said, who the hell's kicking the bag that hard? It's Rob. So with all the ups and downs, we've done something to improve people's lives who were three and four degrees separated from us. So my world's a better world. That doesn't mean that all the pain isn't gone. It's tough right now. I'm helping someone uh, hopefully live a little bit longer who's facing uh, uncertainty with health. I had a, a dear friend and a dear relative die all within one week. The bills are due. The babysitter's gone. The days are long. But you know what? They get a lot of good news. And I and we have Pretty Tony sitting here and, and just would love his observations of your opportunity to not only teach in my place, but to just hang out with me for a minute. Hear me grumpy. See all the different sides. I was just grumpy. I was venting. It felt good. I wrote and I just vented. Just let off some heat. And he was like, yeah, 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 that's great. <laughs> and 
And uh, that's what he does. And it was like, normally I wanted to just hit him in the head, but I just kind of need, that was good. It was perfect timing. All he was like, yep, do huh. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I thought I was in that, uh, I thought I was in the movie Sling Blade. Remember the movie Sling Blade? I thought I was in. call it a Sling Blade. Yeah, yeah. I, I was riding around with Sling Blade then, okay? But, but that's what I needed. And it was cool, and he was very helpful, and he got to see some things. Huh, Pretty Tony? Yeah, absolutely. Talk about it. Actually, this is one of the one of the first, or one of the oldest pieces of advice that I remember you giving me when this must have been like 2014 or something, when I first started here. And you, and you said something like, uh, all you have to do to you know get beyond whatever this thing is that I was dealing with at that time and still deal with today all you have to do is just stop whatever you're doing and say fuck it and just go for it and that's all you gotta do and that's I'm, I say that because I, I, when I think of empathy or I think of everything that you're talking about or all of this stuff um, what it really comes down to for me is is these walls that I have it's not it's not so much is because it's easy to be empathetic when you get past that you know for what and i don't know what i was doing back then i was you know trying to do animation and um you know i had people crashing on my couch or something like that in my old apartment um you know when i was living with john who you just mentioned um <laughs> you know and all this stuff and um just try, just trying to. I, I had this idea of what I thought life should be, and because I had this idea, I thought I couldn't do this, and I I need to do that, and you know this is this is not appropriate for me to say, and you know, but that is, and all this kind of stuff, and it kind of it's comes from, or for me, it's come from just removing that kind of stuff. That's that's been the thing. Yeah, I think that was an important step for you in the sense that. You can't own yourself if you're trying to read others in, mm -hmm. in the way that fits your read, as opposed to accepting that's where they're at and this is where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Once we do, and that's what I meant to you, just fuck it, right? That's another way to put it. Some people don't like that. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Can you just, this is who these people are. This is who I am. I can appreciate them whole. What do we mean appreciate? Again, it doesn't mean you agree, you go along with it. Hey, that's how they flow, right? I always think about cultural changes and shifts. It wasn't that long ago. Maybe it was, because I'm old as hell, but when the idea of eating raw fish just wouldn't fly. Now there are people, it's a normal thing to say, let's go have sushi, right? It wasn't that long ago where people thought that was absurd. Mm -hmm. And then now the people say, hey, yeah, it's here. I'm not into it, but that's an option for people. Little things like that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to get worked up. You don't have to go and hunt down the people that do it and burn them out of their homes. You know what I mean? You just, hey, you roll your way, I roll mine, but I need to understand who I am in, in my inner relationship with you so we can have harmony. I, we know when to get off this train. Mm -hmm. One of the dilemmas with people involved in, in, in herd mentality. 
where it just stifles all empathy. Because there is a form of lack of empathy, which includes a certain blindness, an empty soulness, right? That you're just going along and comporting to something, just trying to fit in. So in order to do that, you can feel nothing. You just must be drawn by whatever mass current you're involved in. And that's what a lot of this herd mentality stuff is about. A lot of these political movements and even protests. You're just standing out there, just a mob of people heading somewhere, and you just find yourself in the middle throwing rocks at somebody. You don't even know what it's for. Right? Until they're knocking on your door telling you that, okay, you're, you're going to be arrested. You're like, what? You even see it now. These people are getting arrested for this thing. And they're like, I don't know what I, they said, one guy, I didn't know what, I just carried away. No empathy. Empathy, to feel. To feel the life of another person. And you may not choose to be a part of that, but in order to feel that life, you have to feel your own. It's like reading pulses. When you read pulses, you don't put your thumb on the other person because your thumb has a strong pulse that will obscure their pulse. But you do offer the minor pulse or the unpulsed part of your hand so you can feel theirs. You understand? That's empathy. You try to feel their pulse with your pulse, it, it cancels it out. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know who you are. You don't know who they are. Yeah, you're fine. No, I'm dying. What the hell are you talking about? Oh, you're fine. No, you're the only one that's fine. That's what we do, right? I'm fine. I don't know what's wrong with everybody else. What about me? Like this guy I'm talking to. He, hey, your mother is dying and she would love for you to be kind. I can't be kind today. She's dying, but my foot hurts. Or she's dying. I'm going to miss the game. Sounds really ridiculous. But this is zero empathy. Zero understanding of causality. So... I was thinking about that when we were riding. It's just this is very stressful times. I carry stress a certain way. I think I have been able to manage my load in a way, but I also understand that I'm seeking to unburden some of that load. So I'm working on strategy to do that. That's why I was vending to you in the car every time. The calls I got were amazing, right? Mm-hmm. I realize that I understand that people see me as something other than a dude, other than a man. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is, but they see me other than that. What were the calls I got like? Oh, it was about moving the car and. Yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> it was bizarre. Got, like I mean, you got five or six of them at least. Like, yeah, just just random <laughs> things that were just. And then so I was trying to, I understand why that, because I am a can-do person. I figure out how to do stuff. I didn't realize how many people don't figure out how to do stuff. So many people turn to me because I'll figure it out. John Tate called me one time, driving down the street with a bowling ball under his car. I said, did you just punch it? It is a round <laughs> ball. Just and he did, just, and we got rid of the round ball. He called me in a panic. My God, I have a bowling ball under my car, just sitting in the middle of the street. And I went over there and punched it. Got in there. Balls roll. Check for damage. It was good. But again, I'm not knocking anybody. I just understand that 
if if the people if 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 we as a people have empathy, we understand how people came to be who they are. And if it's something that benefits us, we can nurture that so that that person or those persons can be with us longer. Understanding people's stories to me is the most interesting part of this empathy discussion. And normally when I think about empathy, it's a point in time. Like someone's in your presence and you can feel what they're feeling, you know what they're going through. That's only going to give you a small picture of the whole if you don't have the context. If, as you're saying, you don't know how they got to the point where they are. And that's something that I've always found very interesting about you. That you've got this ability, whether it's empathy or you want to call it reading people, you just pick up on aspects of people and understand them in a way sometimes better than they understand themselves. Maybe not completely, but certain aspects. You can see certain things in people that they're not attuned to. That's something that I experience. Uh, that's why you've had such a large impact in my life, because you've given me a story or a way of seeing myself that I never even knew existed. It's almost like you see things from a different angle. You're always looking at something from the front and then you shift to the back and you've got a completely different picture. And I don't know what the process was for you to to determine that, whether it was immediate. You say it was immediate. You say the first time you met me, you knew certain things about me. Maybe it is pattern recognition. Maybe there's something, some similarities that we have. But that skill is very interesting. And I want to explore this a bit because when you have that context and understanding, it's profound. It can help the other person if that's your profession. If you're a guru like Master Z and you got to go around being a master, that's what you do. You can help other people understand themselves and the nature of their problems. You can help them heal. But even if no one gives a shit what you think and they're not interested in your opinion, when you have that context, you know how to deal with someone, how to interact with them. I think about my family and that's where I'm most empathetic. Maybe it's because I'm most comfortable. I'm the least guarded. I also just spend a lot of time. There's a lot of openness with my wife and my kids. And that gives me a perspective that Maybe I don't have or I tune out with other people at times. So my wife, as we've talked about, she struggles with anxiety. But knowing that about her completely changes the way that I deal with it. I can go from feeling attacked by this raving lunatic to saying, okay, she feels threatened. And this is what happens when someone feels threatened. They lash out. And so that perspective, one calms me down because I don't feel like what the hell have I done attaching myself to this crazy person <laughs> I've got a totally different perspective about my own situation and I can help her or I can diffuse the situation or I can walk away and give her some space I see this with my kids the middle one she likes to provoke and a lot of times she intentionally won't listen to anything we say and 
she'll do the opposite and she'll whine and complain, but she needs to feel loved. And I said this to her the other night. I said, sometimes it feels like you're putting us through these little tests. You're putting mommy and daddy through these tests. So if I do this, if I don't listen, if I yell at my sisters, if I jump on the furniture, are they still going to care? Are they still going to be there no. for me? Yeah. My <laughs> wife, maybe not. I've got a stronger relationship with my kids. And I described to her how even if I wanted to stop loving her, I couldn't do it. It's there like an ocean. It's endless. It's timeless. That love is a constant. And she found that so reassuring. I could see it in her face. Uh, she just felt safe and and calm. And, and she lit up. And maybe she carries that with her. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe it was just in the moment. But it could be one of those things that, that does have more of a profound impact. So... As I'm thinking about this, because I'm trying to crack the code of how you do what you do when you work with people. And as I'm relating it to my own experience, part of it is this openness, awareness, willingness to listen, genuine concern for the well-being of others. And if you have that concern, you're willing to invest a little bit, walk in their shoes, think about things from their perspective, your default changes. So the default isn't why is this person such a fucking asshole who's irritating me because they're walking so slowly or they're, they've got their turn signal on and they haven't turned it off? It's, okay, they're doing something. There must be some reason for it. Let me see if I can figure that out. And with that understanding, maybe I can do something more productive. So that's my take on it. But I, I want to hear from you. How do you think about empathy? Or have you looked at your own process for how you relate to other people is there a way that you could break it down for our audience so that we can develop some of those same skills? Well, my process is, as many of you have worked with me and you've seen me work with people, is, as you said, to listen. Um, from my martial training, from my engineering background, and combined with my temperament, I see the world oftentimes, like I said, in structures and numbers, angles, the way things fit together. Um, I'm someone who really under, like to understand how things work, and I tend to fix things. I like to fix things. You know, Pretty Tony got to go with me, and there was another guy who had a garage like mine, and, and I like to fix things. I like, I like to watch things work. That also applies to people. It applies to society. It applies to the whole human condition. And what happens is there's a few layers to it. Like with the machine, there are parts that go together. If they go together the right way, the machine works right. So with human beings, in a way, I, I look do human etiology like a veterinarian would do an animal. If you got a horse or something, that <clears throat> that horse can't talk to you. It can't explain to you what's going on, but you understand what a horse does. And in understanding that, you say, okay, here's where they're having a problem. Whatever creature you're working with, if you understand the primal mandate of that creature, 
You understand when it's at its healthy nominal and when it's outside of that, and then you work accordingly. So too when I interact with people, they sit here like where all you guys are sitting, and they say, I met you through so-and-so right away. They're giving me information who they hang out with. And I have this problem. And I'll ask, well, what do you do for a living? What, what are the things you like to do? So it tells me what that problem, how will it affect them? Are they just in discomfort or pain, or is it hindering their ability to express their own life? And to what degree? And then they'll tell me a story about how their back got hurt or their shoulder got hurt. And then I look for the story before that event. Were you in an urgent state? Were you moving? Were you fleeing? Were you ravaged by anxiety when this happened? Where is it malattention? So that's going to tell me a little bit about the muscle tone, the stomach floor. So I'm putting all of these things I'm listening to together. And while they're talking to me, I'm building an avatar of them. <clears throat> and it can take a few minutes or it can take an hour. The first part of that is just the way they carry their body. How often do they blink? Are they hyper-attentiveness? Like people don't blink, they're hyper-attentive. What are you looking for? All this information is pouring in, so you probably have some anxiety. Too much information is coming in all the time in your process. Do you feel under threat? You know, There are so many little things. I look at you know, Pretty Tony when he used to hunch over. He was always diminishing. So he's what, about six feet tall, something like that? He would, But he moved around like he was 5'4". His arms were short, and that's he was he would withdraw. Then you see, as he lives through his art, but he wasn't fully living here. Part of him was living in the dimension of his art. That's not uncommon with artists. Then, as he started to share with other people, <clears throat> he grew. He expressed himself. You used to do that. You would cower and diminish yourself all the time. Then kind of bark like a chihuahua. Then you would vent and rage and then alienate yourself. And so that showed me that there was some fragility, some vulnerability, some uncertainty. And you you address that. When you worked out, you you, you changed. You just you became a, a lion. You weren't a chihuahua anymore. <clears throat> I knew when Caitlin came in, she was not hardy of health but she had a she had a real good heart she had dynamic shin and she also was willing to suffer to get somewhere she was already willing to do that to sacrifice even though she didn't know it and here she is <laughs> John Tay there's a bias I realize he carried, even though he was angry at his dad, he was so similar to his dad that it twisted time for me. I was this 20-year-old soldier again. And again, like he inherited it, then he has his own thing, his own uncertainty, his own... He's a lot... He carries like this kind of 
yeah, I'm a gangbanger type dude. But he's not. He's more like his dad. Like, his dad always had a high intellect and a very tender heart. Jante comes off, whatever they, these guys come off as. But I remember when he was in love with his girlfriend and the way he was around her. It's a very unique quality. I wasn't like that till I got too old to keep running around women. My son is like that. He had a high reverence for love. He had a very special place. It wasn't the hit and miss. It wasn't the one night stand. It wasn't notching your belt type of thing. It was a rare quality that you see in a person who's able to surrender to love. I'm not able to do that. I don't trust anybody that much because I've had to, too many people have died, disappointed me because they died. So it makes me sad. Yeah. John Tay just let go. She fucked him over, but, but he was there. He went there. A lot of us don't go there. He went there. So all of that I see in people. I see in this holograph, this avatar of them that, that's there. So when it comes to health and wellness, I'm able to help people in whatever way I can. And some people think it's crazy because you'll hear them scream in pain. Oh my God, that hurts what you're doing to me. Because what I'm doing, I'm remolding them back to their original self. Then they'll say, well, I feel better now. It was great. <laughs> what the hell did you just do to me? I didn't do anything but return you to the state in which I observed. Just like when I get a motor. Because I can put it together. I know how it's supposed to run. And it comes from me spending a lot of quiet time observing. A lot of time in a very dim place of grief and despair. Watching the dissolution of human life. Just, it's dissolving. <clears throat> and it's like the deconstruction of a human being taught me the construction of human beings. What would make you risk your life for this or that? And I'd walk backwards, then walk forward. And you start to learn how this machine works. Empathy. So that process is very interesting. The whole archetype building in real time. Sounds like some sort of science fiction shit, but a skill that you've mastered, which freaks people out at times. You can be eerily correct about what they're going through, seemingly without that much context, without that much information, but you've developed the skills to listen, to absorb. You've worked with enough people where you can see patterns over and over. You're picking up information from different sources. It's not just what people are telling you. It's how they're reacting, what they choose to tell you, what they choose not to tell you. So a lot of this is around listening, high conscious awareness, pattern recognition. And as you put it, you've had enough despair to sink into that and observe, whether it's a luxury, a tragedy, some combination, somewhat unique to you. So what do most people do? Because most of us 
don't see as many patterns, just the nature of what we do. We're not working with people all the time. Maybe we've never gone into those depths and really stepped back and observed humanity. Where should someone get started if they're trying to build this skill set, relate to people in terms of the other person, not in terms of your own biases, have some mental model for how to deal with someone? What's your advice? Listening without commentary, observing without standard, listen and observe without judgment. Acknowledge your own bias and remove that from that equation. Then you can see clear. And don't ask for more than that. Then you're embellishing what you saw. So again, you consider your biases in any situation. What you want, what you're projecting, what you're comfortable with, discomfortable with, all that. That's a, that's a factor that needs to be pulled out. You listen not only with your ears, but with your eyes, with all your senses. You observe movement. You observe facial affect, posture everything. Then you hear the symptoms. What are they talking about? Not just what they're telling you, but the filter in which they're telling you because maybe they don't know you, maybe they're not comfortable with you, so they're trying to give you a story that will appeal to you. Let them know right away, I don't approve or disapprove. I don't like or dislike. You're not appealing to me or unappealing. And then slowly, clarity comes through. And then, as you said, you can, I can build that hologram of the person. And that hologram is plastic and fluid, and I can see what the animal can do, what the mind can do, unencumbered, unembellished by disease, and the cause of disease because people will tell you things because they want you to be pleased with them I usually let people write a note right, right away I'm not pleased with displeased at all I'm indifferent not callous it's just that I'm not here to be your friend I don't like most people I have very few people in my life so you probably I'm not in some sort of pageant where I'm looking for new acquaintances. If we hit it off, it's because we have a common interest, like the neo-Nazis we ran into. We have shared interests. I don't care about your politics. I don't care about what are our shared interests. If we don't have that, we probably won't connect anyway. But in this moment in time, in this juncture in time, if you're hurting, I'm going to do my best to alleviate your suffering. Yet most human suffering is self-inflicted. So I can do everything but the part you're inflicting on yourself. And I'm going to call you. If you want to know how to get rid of that suffering, I'll have to call you on what you're doing to yourself. And that's usually the hardest part. For them, not for me. Because I may or may not see them again. And because I am a struggling businessman, the bottom line is always the bottom line and it's always in flux and we're always struggling business people 
because we're not here to entertain. I'm following a, a mission I set upon over 35 years ago to do what I could to mi mitigate human suffering, to live up to a promise, live up to a promise I made to a dying teacher. That's what I do. So now sit your ass down and let's uh, see what's wrong with you. And it's, an, it, it's health delivered, extraordinary health, good living, mitigation of disease and suffering, but it comes in a brown paper bag. So come to Dharma, Dharma Media, pick up your advice in a brown paper bag. Some people use brown paper bags for other things. We use it to deliver sound health and wellness advice. So don't miss out. I think the things you mentioned, Z, the listening, the observing, the removal of biases, the lack of judging, simple, simple formula, just something that we need to practice. And what I find particularly maybe nice, I'm struggling for a better word than nice, but something cool about what you're saying is that when you're able to do this and you can really empathize, you can just drop all the pretense. It's no longer, oh, this person is trying to impress me or I don't know if I'm getting the real deal or not. You cut through that, you cut through the stories and the filters, and guess what? You can have a real relationship and it completely changes the dynamic. So in addition to all of the benefits that we've been talking about, if you're not sold yet on mitigating human suffering, if you're not sold on relating to people so that the world doesn't have to adapt to you, hey, it'll help you develop closer, deeper connections with other people. That's right. And I would say in, in my closing, before you close, Vin, I just wanted to interrupt you. Um, for anybody that's been enjoying our podcast and benefiting from this opt-out message from the dispassionate observer point of view, what do I have different or over everybody else? When I walk through this life, what I have is a value beyond a value for love. I'm not talking about romantic love. I'm not talking about the theater of life. But every one of you that has known me, every one of you been around me, I acknowledge what you've done for me. Be it a teacher, a student, who have made me better. Because as you witnessed yesterday, Vin, I was juggling between worlds. I'm able to do that because I fulfill the duties presented to me by those people in my life. And I feel fortunate. I feel loved. I feel valued. I love. And as Rumi said, when all is said and done, with all the things you can experience in this life, it means nothing. Only love is significant. So. <laughs> 
If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.